Scala Radio presents Beethoven, The Basics, the podcast with Andy Bush. Welcome to Beethoven, The Basics, the podcast. I'm Andy Bush. My day job is playing rock music, but in this series, I'm on a voyage to find out more about classical music. Consider me Ross Kemp in a bulletproof waistcoat trying to get as close as safely possible to the epicenter of Beethoven's crazy and dangerous private life. This is the final of 10 podcasts from a four-part series previously broadcast on Scala Radio in the spring of 2020. Episode 10, Beethoven's Legacy. We're looking at Beethoven's final years and his musical legacy, a chaotic crescendo to a life that burned so brightly. I've also set the challenge to my contributors, a bunch of world-class classical musicians, to pick the one piece by Beethoven which they think demonstrates why he's still such an important composer today, despite 250 years of musical water under the bridge. First up, and we've waited until now before playing it, it's the most familiar opening of any classical work, the first movement of his Symphony No. 5. Pianist Stephen Huff tells us more. I mean, it's still a piece that, that is so thrilling to hear, however many times you've heard it. I think you hear many sides of, of Beethoven's musical world. You hear the tenderness in the slow movement, and you hear the, the tightness of argument. Um, you know, there is not a note wasted in that piece. It's like the most extraordinary architectural structure and it's thrilling to hear it. Karen Hendrickson, assistant conductor of the Royal Northern Symphonia, continues to explain the significance of this piece. Beethoven's achievement here has something to do with the immediacy of the impact that he delivers, especially in that first movement. It's the shortest first movement he writes in any of his nine symphonies and they should in Beethoven's time have two themes. They'll have a first theme and a second theme. And the themes should be opposite or antitheses of each other. And Beethoven's first theme, instead of being melodic, although there is tone and melody there, it really is a theme purely with rhythm. And the fact that he can take that short system of rhythm and pitch and develop it into just this amazingly insistent, energetic, first movement that is just relentless in terms of its conversation with that rhythm. Ba, 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 bum, ba, 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 bum. And then you have this beautiful second theme that shows up. And I just think there's something so beautiful about how efficient he was, which almost sounds like it's unmusical to be efficient, but he just delivered such emotional impact. And here's clarinetist Julian Bliss. Beethoven's music is still as important today as it ever has been. The beginning of his fifth symphony has to be one of the most famous phrases in the whole of music. I'm sure there's people out there who have no idea who Beethoven is, but they would still recognise that phrase. Thank you. 
the most familiar opening to any symphony. So back to his later works. Why are they worth getting to know, and what do they tell us about his state of mind? Here's Scala Radio's very own Jack Pepper. The late string quartets that he wrote at the end of his life are, are really very experimental, to the point that when they were premiered, many people thought Beethoven had gone totally mad. In fact, Beethoven didn't even attend the premiere in person. The story goes that he sat in a nearby pub and then a friend would come over and tell him how it went. The answer was not very well. Everybody thought that Beethoven had lost his mind, that he had become far too reckless and adventurous in his music. Too ahead of his time. Classic Beethoven, in the pub, shaking things up. You know what he's like. His Grammy Award-winning violinist, Nicola Benedetti, to tell us more. I think it's widely agreed that the Beethoven string quartets are the kind of heart and soul of his compositional output. It's um, also the density and the sheer volume of string quartets is quite overwhelming. It can sometimes be really daunting when you are trying to know where to start. I mean, I would say to everybody, they, they fall very loosely into categories of, you know, earlier compositions, then mid compositions, and then late works. And, and I think that a lot of people do relate more to the drama of the later works. I'm Andy Bush, and this is Beethoven The Basics. We are celebrating Ludwig's 250th birthday, and after this, he's insisted we're all going to Wimpy. Back to one of Beethoven's standout masterpieces now, his Symphony No. 9, The Choral. Now, we heard last week that it had a standing ovation at the premiere, but Beethoven was oblivious because he was facing away from the audience and couldn't hear the applause. One of the singers had to turn him around to face the audience so he could see the positive reaction. Settle back because we're about to hear the fourth and final movement known as the Ode to Joy. Maya Iwabuchi, leader of the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, sheds some light about what it's like to perform. I never tire of playing the symphony. It's so monumental in thought and concept, but also just gets you right, right, right into the heart. You know, it's so overwhelming. The first three movements are entirely instrumental, but it's entirely symphonic. And then the fourth movement is just extraordinary. It's huge, you know, joining symphonic forces with a massive choir. I mean, what could be more thrilling than that? When we asked our guests to pick the one Beethoven work that demonstrates why he's such an important composer, it's perhaps not surprising that a fair amount went for the ninth. Conductor Jonathan Hayward explains why it's the piece for him. He is the most relatable composer, I think, of his time. But he describes this human unity that we all can kind of agree on. You know, there's a lot of things in the world that we don't agree on. But there is this beautiful sense of human unity and a sense of human kind of things that we can agree on that brings us together. And there is no other, I don't know, any other work that I can think of in the world that, you know, you go up to someone and you start singing Ode to Joy. And of course they're going to know it. And, and that, that, that is the beauty of Beethoven to me. That is the significance of why he's important today and why his music should really be played on for the rest of time. Violinist Nicola Benedetti pinpoints what makes the Ninth Symphony so special. I just think there was a merging of ideals and of visions for Beethoven, what he could actually see and hear. It's also a merging of despair and hope. It's a merging of many 
opposites and in that lies his true understanding of the human condition and story. He could always see that that nothing in life was one thing, it's always many things and he managed to pull those things together in, in one of the greatest of human creations that we have the pleasure of listening to and and enjoying. stuff the ode to joy from beethoven's symphony number nine the impact beethoven had on music is far-reaching extending way beyond the classical world violinist anna phoebe one half of ava waves had an earlier career fusing beethoven with rock music as a member of the trans-siberian orchestra and here she describes his legacy you look at the reaction when he died, the fact that people filled out into the streets, schools were all closed and soldiers had to be called to make sure there was order on the streets. And then in the 1840s, I think it was, when there was the first ever Beethoven festival in Bonn. I mean, this is the 1840s and people were selling merchandise. I think there were like cigars, Beethoven cigars and Beethoven trousers and Beethoven neckties. I mean, this really just reminds me of that arena tour that I, that I did. And I kind of think... I think he would have kind of enjoyed standing with a flying V guitar looking out in front of 20,000 people with flames going off behind him. Now, this is crazy. Even back in the 1800s, a time of not showing your ankles in public and oppressive formality, there was Beethoven merchandise. Can you believe that? Imagine going for a night out wearing a Beethoven tour t-shirt and smoking a Ludwig cigar. You'd have felt the real deal. But other people have a completely different relationship to him and his music. For Nicola Benedetti, it's not about the flames and the drama, it's about the fragile and the personal. He has created a kind of emotional place for me that I can't even escape when I'm on stage. It's difficult for me to go through a performance of Beethoven Violin Concerto or one of his trios or the few quartets that I've played without at some point being actually moved to tears on stage so um, I seem to to not be able to have any distance from that relationship to him as a as a voice and as a composer. It's amazing how even after so many years his music is able to move people in so many different ways isn't it? Beethoven's legacy endures to this day still as electric and dangerous as it was all those years ago. 
As I stated right at the beginning of this series, he was undoubtedly a rock star, and that's what made me peer over the privet hedge from the rock and roll music garden and wonder what this crazy guy in the classical section was all about. He's different, he's difficult, he's a disruptor, and I like that. It's a formula that applied as much then as it does now. We are drawn to the things that scare us. And just like the rock stars of the present day, that brilliance was driven by a self-destructive inner turmoil. Does Mark Elder, musical director of the Halle Orchestra, see what I mean? He was, in a way, a rock star of the early 19th century because he had the public with him, they worshipped him, they respected him, they feared him, and they came in droves to hear his new music. How he treated people as a result of that I'm not really quite sure because he still sometimes was lovely in company, but so much of the time he was fighting his own demons. Pianist Stephen Huff picks up on the other rock star tropes that Beethoven embodied, kicking down the doors of authority, paving his own path and being his own boss. That wonderful statement that he had, you know, that there are many emperors, but there's only one Beethoven this idea that he distrusted the authorities of the traditional authorities. Because until Beethoven, a composer basically had to get a job either with the court or the church. Uh, They were the employers of musicians, and musicians were considered servants, really, of those two authorities. And Beethoven threw all of that aside because he realized that he he had this this genius and, and he was bigger than the small, you know, courts and church life of, of, of that time. And so I think he fits in with this idea of the individual that came up in the 19th century. Of course, it had its bad side. Individualism can also become narcissism. But at its best, it's the idea that every single person has value and are equal. A great way to round off this series, courtesy of Stephen Huff. Thanks to Stephen and all the musicians who've steered me along throughout Beethoven The Basics. Conductors Karen Hendrickson, Jonathan Hayward, Carlo Rizzi and Mark Elder. Cellist Matthew Barley, clarinetist Julian Bliss, composer and Scala radio presenter Jack Pepper. Leader of the Royal Scottish National Orchestra Maya Iwabuchi, Anna Phoebe from Ava Waves and violinist Nicola Benedetti. Thanks also to the London Philharmonic Orchestra for providing some of the music extracts we heard from the LPO's performances of the Fifth Symphony, conducted by Kurt Mazur, and the Ninth, conducted by Klaus Tenstedt. Find out more about their projects and recordings at lpo.org.uk. Other clips were kindly provided by the Signum Classics label. Finally, thanks to you for downloading these podcasts. I really hope you've enjoyed them and maybe learned something along the way too. I certainly have, that's for sure. If you want to get to know other classical composers but don't want to be patronised or made to feel like the dunce of the class, then genuinely give Scala Radio a go. So get to know the shows at scalaradio.co.uk or on the free Scala Radio app. Thank you for all the lovely messages that people have sent during the course of this podcast. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded it. I love you all. I hope you've enjoyed doing this and listening to this as much as I have. And hopefully see you soon. Back to basics, surely our next stop. Scala Radio presents Beethoven, The Basics. The podcast with Andy Bush.